This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. Consider a career with the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers. As a Boilermaker apprentice, you'll earn while you learn. We offer excellent wages and benefits. And as part of our no-cost, hands-on apprenticeship program, you'll learn from the best in state-of-the-art training centers and on the job. Become a union Boilermaker and get on your way to a great career. Visit Boilermakers.org or call 844-IBB-WELD. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. Welcome into another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. J. Doc, I want to come right to you, almost take uh, take the chatter out of the uh, how we normally start the show as we welcome our listening audience in. There was big news this week, and we're going to spend the full hour talking about it. Yeah, Joe, I mean, I don't think we've ever had a more important show, a more time-sensitive show. Uh, so much going on this week, and we're going to get right into it. The Environmental Protection Agency uh, proposed a rule this week on the RFS, uh, okay, the Renewable Fuel Standard. Um, that really has shaken up the entire industry. Uh, it, it, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a big deal for labor. It's a big deal for our refineries, for the general public, and it was a disastrous it was it, the, the situation was already at a, at a peak and this created a disastrous situation uh ironically uh we're going to get into what we call action alerts which we're launching on the as part of our nonprofit. well the timing is really uh, staggering in in regards to that because there may never be more of an action alert than today's show uh, and 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 so i'm ecstatic to have uh, our guests that will be on the broadcast with us john bland who's the business manager of boilermakers local 13 brendan williams government relations from pbf energy and of course adam gattuso government affairs and communications uh at, 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 at Monroe uh, Energy. And let me just say this. Um, gentlemen, uh, welcome to the broadcast. Happy to be here. Yep, happy to be here. So Thank you. It's, it's, it's our pleasure, like we talked about, and we're going to do a roundtable discussion today. Um, it's on this newly proposed EPA rule that was just announced that if passed in June, will literally jeopardize uh, countless jobs industry employers uh it will maintain increased fuel prices at the pump for consumers and may even have national security implications if this thing isn't fixed so let me ask brendan right out of the box j doc because i saw a quote that you listed in our pre-show notes from brendan williams uh and the quote was the new epa proposed three-year rfs rule is a disaster Brendan, pick it up from there. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the reality of what we're facing. So we talked about the RFS on the show before, and you know, just to give listeners a brief recap, it mandates certain volumes of renewable fuel be blended into the fuel supply. The problem is it makes refiners responsible for that. The, the largest biofuel it mandates is ethanol, and refiners actually can't blend ethanol out of a refinery into gasoline and ship it through a pipeline because the mixture doesn't hold. So we sell our gas, it uh, goes into the pipeline, gets to those big terminals you see on the road where uh, ethanol and other additives are mixed in and sent to the truck for delivery to your local gas station. Well, so mandate, having... Oh, go ahead. 
I was going to say this mandate requires that refiners blend all this biofuel in the fuel supply, even though they don't control the blending. And the problem comes with how much they mandate. So they've been mandating 15 billion gallons of ethanol for the last couple of years. The problem with that is that our fuel supply can only handle a certain amount of ethanol in gasoline. Anything higher than 10% will start to corrode a lot of engines, uh, refueling pumps, underground storage tanks, et cetera. So what happened, without getting into more of the details, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot about during the show, is we were hoping with this year, for the first time ever, EPA setting a three-year standard, they would actually set the levels with reality, um, but they didn't. Now, they went higher than the already unachievable requirement they've been mandating. Uh, and that makes the tradable credits refiners need to buy, because, again, we don't control the blending, uh, even more expensive. It's already adding 20 to $0.30 cents a gallon. Refiners are already paying more for them than to operate their refineries. Uh, and now if this rule is finalized, they're going to be even more expensive. And in addition to forcing folks to keep paying unnaturally higher fuel prices, they are going to start putting jobs at risk once the economy turns. And so having said that, uh, let, let's talk about the big oil companies. Okay. And, and, and so talk about that process. Uh, you know, you, you, you have to act, the, the independent refiners have to actually uh, buy the credits, the RINs from the big oil companies. And from what I understand, they literally have businesses throughout the supply chain. So they actually st- uh, stand a benefit, for, a benefit from this. Can, and can you yeah, elaborate on that? Yeah, they're the biggest beneficiaries of it. So, when we first started talking about this on the show, uh, I like to use bar analogies since a lot of people relate to them. And we, we equated it to if there was a, a, a mandate that a certain amount of rum and Cokes were sold, but the requirement was put on the liquor distributor instead of the people who own the bar and actually mix the drinks and deliver them to consumers, right? right. Same situation here. So an independent refiner is akin to the liquor distributor in this situation, right? We, we just make the gasoline portion of what you put in the tank, and we send it somewhere else where it gets mixed with other stuff. Uh, the, the integrated oil companies, so the big oil companies would be the, uh, you know, think of them as a company that would be the liquor, the liquor distributor, the right. Coke distributor, and the bar owner, right? Right. Uh, and, they, and they sell more rum and Cokes in their bar than they distribute liquor, but the requirement is based on the liquor they distribute, right? So, so since they basically blend more fuel and distribute more fuel through their big terminals, uh, every time you blend ethanol with gasoline, a credit is detached called a RIN, which we've talked about, and that's what companies have to hand in for compliance. Well, since the big oil companies control the blending and they do more blending than refining, they automatically get more credits than they need. But since independent refiners don't control the blending, we're basically beholden to buying these credits from the big oil companies that have the extra credits. So we're so basically paying our competitors to comply with a biofuel mandate because we because we we can't actually physically comply with it. So when the government first mandates more ethanol than you can actually use. And then you have this crazy credit system. That shows that the credits are going to be scarce, and it drives the price the price up. And that's made worse by the fact that the folks who control the credits uh, and who will always have more because their distribution and blending businesses that volume exceeds the refining volume. Uh, those guys are always going to have more, but they're also competing against independent refiners. So it's a uh, you know it makes the system particularly costly for independent refiners. Uh, who are the last refiners left on these coasts? Okay, and we're go- we're going to go to Adam, but before we do, I want to mention the mandate itself. It's a three-year mandate, right? And it, that's right. The, the the requirement already was high for ethanol, the blend. Now all of a right. sudden, and it used to be an annual uh, an annual rule. This this proposed this new proposed rule is three years, and it increases the requirement, which has devastating yeah, for impact. each of the years. Exactly. Adam, you want to jump in there? Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Greatly appreciate it. As uh, as he normally does, Brendan provides a great overview of the program. I, I think really the, the, the problem here, I'm going to take a step back. You know, this was to, this whole act was to lessen our dependency 
on foreign fuels. It's called the Energy Independence and Security Act. And the ironic thing is it's actually pushing us more towards uh, the importation of foreign fuels. It's putting our domestic refiners at risk. As, as you mentioned, they proposed uh, a three-year rule, which is uh, different than in years past. It's called the set rule. And uh, the, the, the volumes are extremely aggressive. They're really unobtainable, right? As Brendan had talked about, uh, the ethanol mandate up to 10 percent uh, in, into your into your gasoline pool. That's what all engines and infrastructure was built to handle. And the more they create these aggressive uh, volume numbers, the harder it is for independents like Monroe and PBF to comply because these credits are only created when gas and ethanol are blended together. So there's been a shortage of credits over the years. Um, you know, the REN bank, the, those credits, those RINs, and, and the bank that those extra credits that may be left over one year to the next, it's becoming sh- smaller and smaller. So there's a scarcity of credits, and it's like supply and demand. When there's a lot of demand for something and the supply is low, those prices for whatever that commodity is goes up. And being out of compliance for a refiner is not an option, right? We, we want to comply with the law. We want to we want to uh, adhere to the spirit of the law, um, but this program is definitely not operating as Congress intended. As Brendan said, Congress put um, and the EPA put the um, the obligation to comply on refiners. And I mean, let's let's think about that at, at the time, right? Um, they did that mainly because there was a couple hundred refiners in the country, but there were thousands of blenders. So they figured, you know what, it's going to be easier uh, for us to track the compliance part of the program because there's just less refiners. Refiners didn't uh, object because these credits were never supposed to be a moneymaker. Unfortunately, because of the aggressive blending that the EPA has you know, put forth over the years because of other structural issues within the program, these credits that we used to buy for two and three cents are sitting at about a dollar seventy-five today, and I, I guess that for, for me to put that into perspective, what that would mean for for the listeners here, um, for us to comply this year alone is actually double the purchase price of our entire company. So that would be, you know, Brendan gave the the bar analogy. I'm going to give a a quick house analogy, something that I was thinking about this morning. It would be like somebody owning their house, but their homeowner's insurance is double the purchase price of their house every year. You're going to sit there and you're going to say, you know, I, I can't afford to be in something that we already own. Well, that's kind of the situation that we're in now. When you have a compliance cost that's double the purchase price of your company every year, it becomes harder and harder to really justify being in business. Well, a really good analogy by Adam. Hold your thought just quickly, j because I want to make sure that the listeners pick up on that. And the end result of this conversation leads to increased cost ultimately to the consumer. Is that accurate? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there, there's been testimony in Senate committees that the, that the cost to the consumer is between 20 and 30 cents a gallon. You know, through our coalition efforts, the uh, Fueling American Jobs Coalition, we have been advocating to the administration that instead of releasing um, oil out of our strategic uh, oil supplies, we should be really looking at, uh, you know, reforming this program so that this 20 to 30 cents isn't on the backs of of refiners and consumers alike. That would have an immediate impact, and it wouldn't put our energy and national security at risk. And, and, and here's important to note, too, that's just the cost of the RINs, right? So what we've seen, this program's gotten so costly, and when you combine it with some other programs, we've seen in other parts of the country, some refineries have decided to just shut down and transfer their, uh, turn their facilities into a renewable diesel plant. Um, on the one hand, it's good they're still making something. They make uh, renewable diesel plants make 70% less fuel than when they were refineries with only 10% of the workforce. So in addition so to lost me- jobs, you see a huge fuel gap, which is one of the reasons we're having diesel shortages now. Let's do this because we want to bring John Bland into the conversation. Based upon what, what, what Brendan just said, we only have – 
about a minute to the break. Two minutes to the break, uh, uh, you know. right, John, t- uh, y- y- you heard what Brendan just said in regards to, uh, you know, some, some, some of these uh, facilities, instead of closing, um, they're, they're going to be doing, you know, obviously producing other products. Uh, however, uh, like, like, like Brendan said, fact of the matter is, is they make 70% less fuel with 10% of the workforce. Uh, if that happened on the East Coast, what would be the impact on labor? It's a huge impact on labor. Like I said, I, I think Adam said it the best. I mean, uh, it's just like their house. They own this. They got, they got to worry about the rinse, you know, the rinse cost which is basically a tax. So basically they got to worry about how much is this going to cost? How much maintenance can I do to my house? And if they can't do that much maintenance, the upkeep, that affects our membership. So guys are looking for work other places. Yeah, it's it's all around. Yeah, well, 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 it's it's incredibly confusing. Here's a question to to Brendan and Adam. Uh, obvious does e, is the EPA aware of this? I mean, I, you know that it's almost like sarcasm. Uh, you know the dev, you, there's winners and there's losers, uh, and 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 the losers are getting devastated. The workforce, the uh, the, the consumer, uh, the independent refiner, sound, and the big boys have all the uh, businesses in the supply chain. This isn't a secret, is it, guys? No, it's not. It's just, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it gets uh, mired in, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. swamp politics, right? The, uh, yeah. you know, the, the ag lobby is pretty united. And even though this program isn't really helping corn anymore, again, it's really actually helping the, the biggest oil companies. Uh, they still think like any change in the program is a crack in the dam that could bring it down and that they just want to mandate more and more and more, um, even if we're not using it. And so, uh, and, you know, every politician uh, at some point thinks they want to be president, and so they always have an eye towards Iowa. Uh, and so the, the presidential politics of Iowa get thrown into this, and a lot of the, the corn interests there do a good job making it sound like, oh, well, you have to support the RFS if you, if you want to win Iowa. Well, you could obviously support the RFS uh, without closing refineries down. That's a whole other conversation. Uh, but there's a lot of... You know, the, a lot of the lobbyists that uh, make money on this program, and it's actually not just the ag sector. You actually have a, a good segment of the oil sector, the folks making money, uh, that, that also lobby against fixing this program. So it's, uh, and it's, you know, as you can, as you know, and as I'm sure your listeners can figure out just from the conversation thus far, it's a complicated program. So when you, when you add all the complications of this program on top of the crazy politics and all the different special interests that lobby on it, you can see why it's really hard to enact change. The Labor and Energy Show with Jadock and Krause will take our first commercial break. We're visiting for the full hour today. John Bland, business manager, Boilermakers Local 13. Brendan Williams, government relations, PBF Energy. Adam Gattuso, government affairs and communications. Back in a moment. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know experts agree that a technology called carbon capture and storage, or CCS, will be crucial to mitigating the risks of climate change? Did you know? First charted in 1903, Steamfitters Local 420 has been constructing and installing mechanical systems throughout the Delaware Valley for over a century. United by excellence, this local is proud to have worked on projects such as the Sun Oil Refineries, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the stadiums for all our Philly teams. From helmets to hard hats, Local 420 represents the history of Philadelphia. Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, business manager. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. 
Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are being supported by the members of the Labor Union Community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell Business Manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United Steelworkers. And welcome back to this edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. Again, J. Doc, I begin this segment the way I started segment number one with a reference to, to that quote uh, that you put in the pre-show notes from Brendan Williams. The new EPA proposed three-year RFS rule is a disaster, quote unquote, from Brendan Williams. Guys, let, let, I want I want to stay on this for a second. In regards to you know to the big losers here, of course I laid out I laid out uh, you know the, the public labor, uh, obviously independent refiners. Who else loses on this, and and who wins? Well, you know, oddly enough, I think the the loser is you know independent refiners and uh, in a lot of cases union labor. Uh, and and the fuel supply, American Energy Security, right? Those are the losers. Uh, the winners are really the folks making money on the credits. Uh, there are there are some other parts of the mandate and other fuels, and you can say they're the winners because, and, and some of the other parts of the mandate, you do see some increases in their fuels. But uh, but the, the irony of this whole thing is that uh, I would argue that the facts show the ethanol industry isn't actually a winner from this program because we can't achieve the mandate. In fact, it's so convoluted, you might ask, okay, if these numbers are unachievable, right. how are actually refiners complying from year to year? Well, right? I was just going to say that. How, what, what happens to the ethanol industry if the refiners go out of business, if we lose, uh, you know, you know, our, our refiners, uh, what happens then? Well, yeah, I mean, well, so first of all, they, they start losing domestic blending pool, and then we're relying on imports for our fuel. But what's interesting is that because they set these levels at unachievable uh, numbers, right, Adam mentioned uh, the RIN bank earlier. And what that is, was earlier in the program, uh, when they, before they set unachievable volumes, people would actually have some extra RINs. But since they've been setting unrealistic volumes, people have been drawing those down. Those are going away, and they're pretty much gone now. And so how do refiners actually comply? Well, the program lets you over-comply with separate part of the mandate that requires bio or renewable diesel to be mixed into the diesel supply, right? So there's a whole separate mandate for that. But we don't make enough of that fuel domestically to meet that mandate. So when you need fuel to meet that mandate, and then you need to over-comply with that mandate to get extra credits to actually meet what's supposed to be part of the ethanol requirement, we actually end up importing foreign bio and renewable diesel to blend into the diesel supply to get credits to comply with what's supposed to be the ethanol portion of the mandate. And those are a lot more expensive than the ethanol credits. It's a much smaller pool, but that's one of the reasons that the ethanol credits are so high. It's, I mean, it's crazy. You couldn't think of a more insane system to write up if you were Right in a fiction novel on this stuff, and and so having, and right now, right, J. Doc. I yeah. mean, and, and right now, and, and and so how have with with, with these rins uh, once again super expensive, uh, adding twenty to thirty cents per gallon at the pump. Um, obviously, this this would normally have led to, to mass refining uh, refinery closures. How have refineries been able to sustain such high rin prices to date, Adam? Well, look, I, I got to be very frank with you. It hasn't been tough. I mean, let, let, let's take a step back a couple of years ago. You know, it, we were we, pandemic was starting, right? Nobody was flying, nobody was driving. Really, at that point, nobody really paid attention to refiners. What did we do? We buckled down. We, we had to make some really, really tough choices. Uh, we had to put, uh, unfortunately, and I apologize to. Uh, to, to, to my friend and, and John Blaine, we, we had to put some projects on hold that we would have, you know, happily moved forward with. And at the end of the day, I'm, I'm happy to say we didn't lay off anybody through that, that whole ordeal. But it, it, it takes a lot of um, wherewithal. Uh, it struggles. We, you, you take on debt. You do a lot of things that you hope you would never have to do. Because our focus, let's be frank, is to make sure that these um, – refineries are the most efficient, reliable in the world. They are. Can we go even further? Absolutely we can. That takes a lot of money, a lot of 
um, a lot of labor. Uh, and, and you talked a little bit earlier. I, I just want to go back to one thing that was really important. You said about winners and losers. Why can't we all be winners? In this exactly. The, the, the American public, right? We, we, we should look at this holistically and say, hey, you know, we could do right by our refiners for our energy and national security. We could do right by labor because these facilities create a lot of job opportunities. I, I, I pulled a figure, which I, I want to just express to the listeners. To make our refinery go every day, this would be, you know, um, services that we contract out, uh, different vendors that we use. We use a thousand different contractors and vendor companies in 42 states in this country. That's what this one location in Trainer, Pennsylvania provides. Lots of great opportunities. Unfortunately, when I worked um, for Governor Corbett, uh, I experienced three refinery closures. Um, and what we found was that for every lost refining job, 18.3 people in southeastern PA, 22 in the state, and 61 across the nation would lose their job. That is an unbelievable job multiplier. So many people depend on these facilities for their livelihoods. And on top of that, these high rents prices, as Brendan talked about, adding 20 to 30 cents per gallon, everything in this country is trucked. So it's not just your direct right. fuel costs. It's all those indirect costs. You go to that grocery store and you pick up a product. That product is more expensive because it takes more money to get that product to market. So the, rip, the ripple-down effect is is endless. Uh, and 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 then when you think about it, it's 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 actually staggering. John Bland, if you will, you've been I know paying attention to this like there's no tomorrow. Stressing over it, you have a uh, uh, as, uh, as the business manager of, of Boilermakers Local 13 in in, in Philadelphia, um, and uh, uh, you know just across the country, um, you guys have so many workers uh, working in in the refineries. Uh, talk about what your reaction was yesterday. You and I talked last night. Um, but talk about it and, 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 and your thoughts on it. Uh, you know what? Thanks a lot, Joe, for asking that. Yeah, and I'm going to cut through the chase. You know, we've been asking for reform for the last couple of years. And, and you know, I've been a refinery guy just about my whole career. And I see the devastation, what it's doing to our Northeast merchant refineries. And that's who it's really crippling. And we've asked for reform, and we show the EPA. We've engaged with the EPA. We've engaged with our representatives. They all know it's a problem. And the EPA, they know that this refineries around here went out of business because of the the renewable fuel standard. Let's cut through the chase and the crap. Somebody else is pulling the strings here, and somebody's going to have to fix this because nobody wants to get off, off their ass and fix it. You know, we've met with the Trump's campaign. Uh, we've met with Biden's team. Some of these, this is not Biden's problem, but he can fix it right now. This program, setting a three-year limit this high, is going to be devastating and putting more refineries out of business. And how do you set, set it so high when you've got more electric cars coming on the road and you increase your ethanol update? And, you know, here's the other trickle-down effect, Joe, and I don't think anybody realizes the price it does to the grocery stores. You know, the RFS program, the the pressure it puts on the food prices, there's over 90 million acres of U.S. land that's used for corn. And one-third of those acres is used for ethanol. That's 20 million football fields for ethanol. You can lower the food prices by doing something different. And and it's it's actually confusing. And J-Doc, just to take from what John just said and put it into a kitchen table conversation with us, with me, with the listeners who are trying to make sense of all of this, the end result, the big L, also impacts the people that are listening to this program right now, the public, the consumers, they get the L. And where I get confused, the other thing that you had on your prep sheet in multiple times was why, 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 why? This is where I get confused. To your question, why would you vote to put this in place based on everything that has been said on the show so far today. Uh, yeah, I, I, you want to, uh, Brendan, you want to jump in there? 
Yeah, you know, that's a good question. As I mentioned, it gets, you know, wrapped up into kind of national presidential politics. And you you do have a lot of folks, you have a lot of senators from the Midwest that'll, you know, on both parties that'll really, you know, go to bat hard for the ethanol sector's interests. Uh, But again, the irony is that, uh, and it's such a complex program, I, I honestly think a lot of the folks in the ethanol sector don't really understand what's going on because there's nothing here helping them anymore. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it boggles my mind that, you know, particularly we were really hopeful that this administration, you know, look, Joe Biden's been looking out for labor his whole career. Uh, we were really hopeful that they'd have a better understanding of the impacts here and they'd actually uh, take the opportunity to reform this program. But unfortunately, they're going to miss that opportunity if this proposal goes final, which it's slated to do in June. And uh, this is a program that is, you know, was passed in a law in 2007 when everybody thought the land, energy landscape was going to be different. If we can't get this rule change to the regulatory process, uh, we're really going to need members of Congress to step up and actually finally take the reins and, and legislate a fix to this problem. Yeah, and that's one of the things we want to talk about next. Okay, there, you know, first of all, I don't th- th- these issues. This issue with RENs and, and the RFS is hard enough. We've done uh, literally half a dozen shows on them, and I'm learning, you know, something every show. But I, I, I wonder how many people, you know, how many members of the general public or our workforce even understand or even have heard of RINs or uh, the RFS. I like to do, I'd like to go uh, uh, it, throughout my neighborhood and, and canvas and ask everybody if they know what's about, what's going to knock them over the head in June. If we don't do it, it's, it's already high. And from what I understand, yeah. um, we, we, refiners, independent refiners, obviously you guys don't do the blends and there's, and there's reasons for that, right? In other words, physically, um, you know, you just can't do it. And, 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 and it's a fact that a, a ton of cars can't even, you know, handle it. Talk about that if you would, Brendan. Yeah, sure. There's, there's only about a quarter of the cars on the road that can run on fuel containing more than 10% ethanol. And only 2,000 of the 130,000 retail stations in the nation actually sell E15, which is 15% ethanol. Uh, or, and then I think there's maybe 4,000 that sell a fuel that's 85% ethanol, but even fewer cars can run on that. Only about 10 million of the 240 million cars on the road, right? So we're talking single-digit percentages. And where the cars are aren't always where the stations are. And the reason are, you know, gas stations, most of them have been around for a while. Uh, if you're an independent gas station owner, you know, as I mentioned, ethanol higher than 10% corrodes pipes uh, and can have some problems in older equipment. Newer equipment can handle really high concentrations, uh, but that's, you know, few and far, but those, those stations are kind of few and far between. Uh, and, and there's some consumer resistance to it, right, because it voids your warranties. Uh, and as you mentioned, for from the refining sector, we're upstream of where all that fuel gets mixed together and sent to the consumer. We sell just the, the gasoline, the, the petroleum portion of what you put in your tank. Uh, we sell it into the interstate pipe. We put it into the interstate pipeline system and sell it to someone. It might actually change ownership a handful of times before it gets to one of these terminals where somebody can mix it with ethanol and stick it in a truck. Yeah, and and you know, Twilight Zone esque is 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 really, I mean, this that term you know the term Twilight Zone um, up, applies here. Uh, you know, we got and we're going to talk about you know how what we're going to do to mount a a uh, impact on this situation in June. But John Bland, how many jobs uh, stand to be lost in your industry? Uh, if this thing, if this proposal that happened on Thursday from the EPA comes through. Well, we can look back at uh, Sun Philly, PES. How many jobs were lost? Indirect jobs. I mean, that was, for me, that year, uh, the year that they shut down, we were probably going to have an estimated 150,000, 200,000 man hours out of that plant that, that year. That's not mentioning all the other trades and all the vendors. Uh, you lose more refineries, you know, it gets harder. And that's where the national security comes in. We don't have many left 
on the East Coast. And the Colonial Pipeline does not supply uh, product here to the Northeast. We're having a hard time all around. I so then we got Then we have to import, right? Is that, that's what you're saying, right? Well, that already started happening. If you take a look, what happened in 2019 when we lost PES? Uh, you know, PES supplied 30 percent of the home heating oil to the Northeast. Now you can see the devastating prices that are starting to happen right now with heating oil. Who filled that void? That was uh, Russian crude. You know, now they have. Uh, you know, we we got tariffs against Russia right now. I'm not sure if that was the right word, but we stopped using their crude. So where is that heating oil coming from? And the other thing, too, some of these other countries may not even want to sell their product here because they can sell it cheaper somewhere else because they don't have to do deal with the, the RFS. They don't have to pay that additional cost. The Labor and Energy Show with Doc and Krause. As we roll along, we'll take our commercial break. We'll continue with the conversation back in a moment. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know there are 6,000 products made from petroleum that we use every day? Products like candles, trash bags, fishing rods, shower curtains, paint, umbrellas, tennis rackets, and another 5,993. Did you know? Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Neuter Integrated Multicraft Contractors has been a force since 1896. That's right, 1896. And specializes in welding, piping, mechanical, structural, constructability reviews, project management, and rigging design services. For a free consultation, call Neuter at 314-421-7600. Neuter proudly serves petroleum refining, chemical processing, power generation, and alternative energy. Get in touch with Neuter at 314-421-7600. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are presented by PBF Energy and supported by members of the labor union community, a collaborative to educate the public and change the narrative. I'm back here on the Labor and Energy Show with Doc and Krause. If you miss any of today's broadcast, download it on our podcast. Go to Apple or Spotify. Search the Labor and Energy Show. Do me a favor, Doc. Tell everybody you know to share this podcast so we can continue to push the word out to people. Yeah. The public needs to understand it. Yeah, the well, public the pol- needs. Yeah, to. well, guess what? The politicians need to understand. Yeah, maybe that's it too. the right. Maybe that's okay. right. But having said that, uh, just to, to kind of refresh our listener, our listeners, um, you know, point of view on what we're doing here, we're, we're having a discussion. The EPA uh, proposed a three-year rule on the ethanol blending standards uh, in in regards uh, to and and it, and it's called the, the RFS, uh, and 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 so uh, we're talking about the problem. Okay, why is it three years, by the way, uh, Brendan? It's normally, like Adam said, it's normally a year. So to make matters worse, they're increasing the blending standards. Number one, we're already too high. Number two, um, it's three years. I mean, let's not only shoot ourselves in the foot, but cut our throat while we're doing it. Why is it three years instead of one? Yeah, that's the... Law, when it was passed in 2007, had a calendar in it that went to 2022. And they had some suggested volumes that they said, EPA, here's what we think you should mandate, but you kind of have to look at what's going on in the marketplace and you can make some adjustments. Uh, And uh, at the time, they thought this fuel called cellulosic ethanol was going to come on, which is ethanol produced from cellulose. We don't need to get into a different kind of ethanol, right? or a different kind of biofuel. It wasn't just ethanol. They thought the cellulosic stuff was going to, you know, if you mandate it, it will come. Well, that never happened. And um, there was a provision in the law that said, you know, every single year in relation to that specific fuel, EPA can see what's going on in the market. And if it doesn't meet the number in the law, it can reduce it. And then it can reduce all the other mandates in concert because they all work together. 
Uh, and so because of that, none of the volumes in the law actually materialized. So because of that, EPAs had to set the standard from year to year. On the ethanol side, they've been still setting it too high, as we've talked about. But this year was the last year there were any kind of guidance in the law. The law basically says after 2022, EPA, you figure out how you want to do this moving here on out. And uh, it gives them, it doesn't give them like a calendar or suggested volumes. It gives them just, you know, a handful of very vague criteria. None of the criteria are prioritized. doesn't tell EPA how to weigh any of them. Most of the criteria aren't even defined. So pretty much just like hands the program over to EPA and says, hey, EPA, figure out how to do this thing. Yeah, more bureaucracy. Because of that. Right. Because of that, EPA said, well, um, and if they got the numbers right, it is actually helpful for somebody to know multiple years what they're going to be so you could plan. But if you get the numbers wrong, it obviously has devastating effects. Yeah, and uh, so, so ha- that's why they're doing the three year. We're in this period, which is called the set rule, as Adam mentioned earlier, which is a period after the calendar with suggested volumes in the law ends at which during which the, the law basically just hands the program to EPA and says, hey, you guys figure this out. Yeah, well, they've already showed they, they, they can't, and they're making it worse. By the way, dumb question. Maybe it's too long. The answer is too long. Yeah, but who's in the who's in the EPA? Who's making that decision? Well, it's the administrator, right? But it also gets uh, it also gets mired in. It's really not just the EPA. Um, USDA weighs in the process. Department of Ag weighs in on the process, and they obviously look out for right. the corn guys. Right. Uh, so let me let get... me jump in, uh, uh, Brandon, real quick. Who can do something about yeah. this? Well, let's let's talk about the calls to action. Okay, we just started at the Energy Education and Awareness Initiative, Common Sense and Energy. Uh, to alert situations like this. Uh, we, by the way, we're, we just literally started it. Didn't think we'd be on this much of an alert on, you know, in the first week of it, but we will be. But having said that, what, what kind of response do we need to mount here? Who can do something about it? What type of campaign? John, let me ask John Bland. John, what are we doing in labor? We've been obviously on this issue, the building trades, uh, the national building trades, the boilermakers, uh, all the unions obviously that have skin in this game directly are all over it, but including our building trades. What, 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 what's the plan been, John, and what are we, what are we going to mount here? We, you know... We're, we're trying to save jobs. We're trying to save our energy independence. We've reached out, not just the boilermakers, all the building trades from Delaware, Jersey, uh, Philadelphia. All of us, we've met. We've engaged with Congressman Norcross, who's supporting for change, reform. Yep. Uh, Senator Coons has been doing a major job down in Delaware, wanting reform with this program. Everybody knows sooner or later it's just going to put more jobs and, and more refineries out of business. And, you know, we're, we're asking for a couple of things. You know, who can make changes? The EPA can make changes, the right changes. And the White President House Biden has right. the final straw on that. You know, we could, we could go for a cap price on the RINs. You could change the point of obligation. You could do a couple of different things that would have harmony for all the refineries, not picking winners and losers. Now, now, having said that, there's so much, it can go in so many directions. Adam, you mentioned earlier about the thousand businesses uh, that, that get impacted by just the Monroe Energy alone and, and, and your plant. Okay. The trickle down effect here is, uh, you know, really staggering. Okay. At what point can Congress jump in here? Well, that, that's really a great question. You know, as, as John mentioned, he mentioned a couple solutions that have been advocated for. And I have to say, those are solutions that we've been talking about for years with the thought in mind, we are not here to hurt anybody. We want to be able to support our farmers, our ethanol uh, friends, and make sure that refiners and labor can survive uh, because this program was never supposed to operate this way. For me, uh, you know, we, we actually have a coalition uh, and we have a website. And I, I'd like to promote the website now because there is a take action link on our website. And I think it's really important. I'll explain what you can do. But if everyone could go to fuelingusjobs.com, that's fuelingusjobs.com, there's a not only can you find out everything you want to know about this issue and who's been uh, supporting us along the way, which is bipartisan support in you know, a dozen states, uh, it's been an unbelievable effort and support. But if you go to the Take Action link right now, in under 30 seconds, you put in your name and your address, 
and uh, a pre-populated message will come up. When you hit send, it, it automatically knows what uh, uh, congressional member you have and what two U.S. senators you have, and that pre-populated message will go there. We need to make sure that our, our congressional delegation all across this country knows that American energy and security needs are really at risk, uh, and something can be done. It's well within their power to do something. John had talked about two other solutions before, about changing the point of obligation and putting a cap on uh, these RINs costs. I, I just want to take you know one second to explain that, that cap issue, because I Please. think it is important. No one was ever supposed to make money off of the cost of these credits. It was about three to five cents, and the vision there was, hey, you know what? That's just to cover the cost of someone they have to hire to do the transaction, right, the paperwork, those types of things. But because of a whole host of reasons, people have now figured out how to monetize this program and make tens of millions of dollars, and they're not shocked. We and who are they? The companies- the, who, who are they that, that, that's doing that, John, or, or the, Adam? Well, look, we, we've had there's there's some of the big I mean, I, like Casey stores, I think just recently uh, brought out last quarter. They made 18 million dollars off the sale of credits. There are others that have promoted how much they've made through their 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 financial records. And that's never supposed to really happen. Right. And, and along the way, the American public ends up suffering because of the higher gas prices. Right. The transportation of your goods to the stores ends up going up and bringing it back to refiners and labor. Right. We're trying to figure out how do you make things work when you have compliance costs that are hundreds of millions of dollars a year when it was never supposed to be the way. It's hard to plan for the future. Absolutely. Brendan, June, it's a proposal now. Okay, we know that the, 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 the blending requirements right now in our current year are too high. Okay. Right. The, this is an additional three years. takes it over the top. Next year, further the next, and further the year after that. This, this, this actually becomes official in June. Uh, am I right? right? Talk about what the deadline yeah, is. Yeah, no. So there's, there's definitely an opportunity for the public to weigh in. So there's a public hearing January 10th. Anybody could participate via Zoom. Uh, you could go to EPA's website and send somebody an email to sign up for it. You can also submit written comments. Uh, And you can also do that through the Take Action link Adam mentioned on our website. They'll go to your members of Congress. They'll also go into EPA here in the near future. Those are due February 10th. Uh, So there's an opportunity. And you could write your member of Congress and tell them to comment to EPA. So that's that's number one. You know, if if enough folks, if we can create enough of a groundswell, maybe we can get this changed before they finalize it in June. Number two, it's becoming – Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say number two, it's becoming increasingly obvious – we need Congress to actually really start stepping in to act here. Uh, the fact that this program has now been handed over to EPA with no guidance should make Congress actually want to act. Uh, and so you could, people can also write to a member of Congress and say, hey, you either need to control the cost of these tradable credits or forget this whole tradable credit system where, you know, the people who can't blend have to buy credits from the people who do. You know, you can just require the people who actually control the blending to have a certain percentage that they have to increase. That at least puts everybody on a on an even playing field. And when we talk politically, I, I think you and I talked, uh, you know, not long ago. About three thirty, Jadok. Yeah, I mean, you, you, and you and you mentioned Iowa. How many Democrats are in Iowa, by the way? Uh, that that that. Uh, you know, or, or well, the other, bad, bad. that's the other irony. There's none anymore, right? There were there was a big effort to uh, protect one of the the last Democrats in Iowa by actually doing a lot of things to promote ethanol, and it didn't yield any benefits uh, well, yeah. in the election cycle. So yeah, and it's zero funny now on the federal level, right? And the administration did a lot to appease, uh, you know, Iowa and 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 having no Democrats. Okay, I'm I'm wondering what the upside was there. Um, you know, in the fact that, uh, you know, you do everything you can to appease people who want a state literally has nobody that can support you. And so having said that, um, you know, we have three minutes left here or maybe even less guys. Let's go around the horn. And and and, um, you know, f- f- this is just the beginning for us. We're going to be pumping hard at this. The gig is up. The people have to know about it. The politicians okay. have to know about it. OK, but across the board, uh, you know, closing words uh, in, in, in regarding this issue. I'm going to go to John Bland first. 
Oh, thanks a lot, Joe. Uh, well, my closing remarks on this one, Joe, would be this is where the rubber hits the road. This EPA uh, program we have right now with the Renewable Fuel Standard, this is where the EPA has full control uh, of making modifications and changes. This is when it just the, sun, the program sunsets since it started. This is when our representatives can shine and stop putting American jobs in jeopardy because of a program. Congress should take this, the, take the bull by the horns right now and fix this. They have the opportunity before this gets out of control. Three years from now, we may lose another couple of refineries in the Northeast. Adam? Yeah, so thanks for doing the show. Greatly appreciate it. Happy to be a part of it. You know, for me, uh, any listener that sits there and says, I don't know if this issue really affects me, I'd ask that you just take a couple minutes, hit that website, and take a, a little bit of time and learn how it actually does because it's part of your everyday life, both indirectly and directly. Uh, the costs continue to rise. Uh, as John said, we put East Coast refiners at risk. There's only a few of us left here in one of the most populated areas of the country. Uh, and we need to keep making sure that our, our energy and national security is kept top of mind in everything we do and making sure that we have diversity when it comes to energy supply and production is vitally important. So, you know, please tell your family, tell your friends, this is an important issue. Get out there. We have some time to make sure that our voices are heard. Website one more time, Adam. It's uh, fuelingusjobs.com. Awesome. Brandon, we got a minute left. I mean, now's the time to act. The East Coast has lost 70% of its refining capacity since 2009, and we saw the impacts with the Colonial Pipeline hack, and we see what's going on with Russia abroad. Can't keep going in that direction. If we don't fix this program, we're going to keep going in that direction. So we need to take action now. JDoc, I'll give you the last 30 seconds. I'll tee up by saying, uh, hey, uh, Congress, we put you there. It's time to do something. Yeah, listen, uh, I'd I, I just like to, to kind of – uh, you know, put an alert out there and say, listen, the gig is up, okay? Uh, this this situation does not make sense. Everybody get engaged in this. We need to educate our public. We have to, our, not only our labor leaders, but our, 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 our members need to, need to be up on this topic. The key dates are, Brendan, was that January 10th? The, the uh, Zoom? Public hearing January 10th, written comments are... February 10th, I believe. June is the final, and you can find it all on EPA's website. All That's right. going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show with Jadock and Krause. Thanks to uh, Brendan Williams, Adam Gattuso, and John Bland uh, for jumping in on a very important roundtable. Jadock and I will be back next week, and as you said, Jadock, just the beginning. Uh, just the beginning. Uh, until next time, we thank everybody for listening. On behalf of Jadock, I'm Joe Krause. See you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. You can help. Call your congressperson before the upcoming midterm elections and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded.